Hello, welcome to this episode of Talking Ghana. Talking Ghana is a podcast devoted to the left, right, and center of Ghana's politics. For each episode, my friends, Mami, Papa, Otin, Nelson, and I offer our refreshingly opinionated and usually highly controversial take on the key issues and themes shaping Ghanaian politics. My name is Oliver Bakovomao. I'm a critical legal researcher whose main passion lies in exploring progressive ideas and left-leaning alternatives in history, politics and economics as vistas to achieving systemic justice. So yes, even though half the time I don't know what I am doing here on this podcast, you the audience at least know exactly what biases I bring to each conversation. What Papa was saying, I was so I was so shocked the day I drove past the Sahara Development of uh, Accelerated Development Authority's office in Accra. I was like, well, why is that here? Mm. You're right about that. Ac- Ac- yeah. the Accra of Ghana. Exactly. So f- f- first, first of all, I uh, I I want to perhaps start from a general point, which is the conclusion of my thinking generally on this issue which is that I, I am also very doubtful about the, the viability and wisdom of, of trying to mobilize historical grievances around the political 21st, 21st century political agenda or objective. Um, but before I get there, there are a number of things I wanted to draw attention to, which we, we, we talk about in a slight way without pausing on. Uh, it's about the inherent violence of how the the creation of the of what we now call the modern Ghana came to be about, and we 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 use oftentimes very flowery language in describing the process by which this unit was formed, and we forget that it is nothing but a perfect expression of a projection of European, or, or in this case British military superiority, that formed this state, and that at various points in time of all the constituent units of what became. Uh, post-colonial Ghana, where any of these groups wanting to continue to remain under British rule. And so, for instance, we may continue to use language like the Northern Territories being a protectorate, meaning that it was steeped in a certain basis of agreement of needing British protection. But that is only because that was a, a language that they used to justify what they were doing, and that we had absorbed it and believed it to be so. And that they continued to claim that it was treaty-based, for instance. But when it came to cancelling those treaties, it was an act of British Parliament. They were not deluded as to where the centers of authority led and what they could do with this. They at no point viewed the people they were dealing with as sovereigns and equals in any way. And that's why it was easy to come from a British Parliament and to be able to cancel this. So the process itself of putting together this thing is an, it's a clearest, or for lack of a better word, the most perfect expression of, of British military superiority that created something that nobody wanted to be in at any point. And so if you look at various parts of our history, you've looked at, even for the Northern Territories, the reason why in the early post-colonial days, Nkrumah banned the formation of political parties around ethnicities and whatnot, was this, this fear that people always wanted to get out. And, and so we needed to somehow, to, we need to cancel that in a way. So that was the first point generally I want to make. And when we are thinking about why there are this these issues coming up again. Secondly, 
that there's no direct coincidence between what the voter region is now and what the transvoter Togoland is. As you, I think Mami hinted at that. Or I think no, Nelson talked about when he was reading the, 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 the letter from the cabinet, was that it was, first of all, it was inland. And we know that some significant parts of the voter region is coastal and that has an opening onto the sea. So that tells you then immediately that not everybody in the voter region was, in, was, was part of the of transvoter Togoland. This brings me to the point as to the opacity of those who are claiming to speak on whose behalf and in respect of which area they are speaking. And so, for, for instance, we've continued to use the language of the voter region and voter or airways interchangeably, but it's not in fact so. And if you want to be able to use this as a historical bit or that there's a historical coincidence between the transvoter to Logoland and what is coming up, then it's clearly unhelpful in going to, to, to decipher what is actually going on on the ground. So we don't even know who these groups are, to be honest. We don't know the multiplicity of these groups. We don't know the different natures of the claims that have happened in the past. But what we do know for a fact is that it wasn't a question of whether or not they preferred Ghana. I think Mami made this point, that those who were talking about the Western Togoland and Sylvanus Olympio, uh, who consequently, on behalf of the Comité de l'Unité Togolese, became president of Togo. And that's even, that Comité de l'Unité is talking about unity of the Ewe people. So there was a sense that the Ewe people needed to unite and be one. It wasn't about one that wanted to be under British rule or wanted to be part of Ghana or rejection of Ghana. But there was a need that we didn't want to be, the Ewe's don't want to be divided as a people. It's one of the reasons why you continue to hear people about the, the difficulty of being able to have a viable Western Togoland now because you would have Yendi, which would be disconnected from large part of the Dagombes, then you have the homeland, not part of the people. Because what, what the European colonial authorities have created was a, was, a, was a map which created nothing but division. So there was a strong sentiment that certain people wanted to be together. And so that's where those, those at least on the historical point, I wanted to, to put on the record. Uh, the third thing I wanted to talk about is, and yes, Papa, you're right about that I'll totally massacre you for, for, for evoking development again. But perhaps not for the reasons you think. Uh, I think that I thank you, I think, again, for, for exposing for me the ways in which development is quite unhelpful in understanding what is going on. Because we are now coming to try to use developments as a panacea to solve the problem, only if they were all developed, only if uh, the office of whatever, Savannah development was situated in another part of the country, then these problems would not arise. We're trying to deploy development to try to unravel issues of identity, uh, of history, of politics, of law, that development itself does not provide the language to be able to, to do that. Anthropology would do to some extent. To be able to see the ways, the feelings of wanting, that sense of wanting to be, uh, to, to be one or to be together in a particular way. But, but I concede that nobody, whether on the right, left, center of, of, of Ghanaian politics would agree that the European division of Africa is in, in any way useful or that it was helpful in, in any particular way. Nobody would agree on that. And so it's, it's, it's baffling to me, for instance, the way in which the conversation about why there are secessionist sentiments that continue to, to exist would surprise anybody in Africa. Unless we're completely living under a rock or that we are refusing to, or we are refusing to reconcile our own feeling about how these units came together with what has been created in, in the, in the post-colonial world. The second thing is about, we all agree across board that 
distributive politics that is continued to be framed in this language of development or however you want it, has continued to fail the majority of people, even by its own standards, even by the things that it wants to be judged by, it is not delivering those goods. And so even if you want to use that measure of assessing people's sentiment of wanting to continue to be part of a collective unit or whatnot, it fails on that front. So that's not something that should surprise. But inherently, because our politics and our discourse never, is never grounded in mutual respect and truth, we are unable to be able to, to confront these conversations from a particular point in time or in, in a way that enriches the conversation. But then we continue, even and especially our politics, we continue to other people in the way in which you think about how the issues should be resolved or the way forward to deal with. Or the, this constant othering of people becomes a rhetoric within which which is unnuanced and which is not historically grounded enough for us to be able to deal with the problem that in a way that needs to be dealt with. If I could come in, yeah. Um, so, um, Oliver, the history is important um, because people, for whatever reason, are drawing on that history. And I think that there is the need to be very clear about what the history is uh, and set the record straight. So you made a point about the inherently militaristic nature of the formation of the Ghanaian state, which was to some extent continued under the post-colonial uh, era. And a lot of people have argued that rather than negotiating or even engaging in acts that will legitimize what is going on. The government should send the military uh, to, to go and quash it. Uh, and it's very intriguing. Uh, it seems we are in that same place where Boko Haram used to be when it started on the street. You know, it, it sounded like a fringe thing uh, that, was, that could be crushed. And that was exactly what the Nigerian government did. Uh, but then in doing that, the backlash was what we witnessed with Boko Haram. And so what we want to guard against is, this, is the resolution of what is quite frankly a multidimensional issue. Uh, it connects with identity, history, a sense of belonging or not belonging, the failure of nation building, uh, and all those points cannot be resolved through um, a, a military or a militarized approach as people are recommending. But where I would disagree with you is the way you treat development in this context. Um, there, is, there is, and as I, as I said, these guys are not just framing their struggle as a form of dealing with what they consider as a historical injustice. They connect it to present day issues. They, they talk about the fact that um, there was an inland port, for instance, that was proposed uh, to be built in the Volta region. And when the MPP government under, uh, under John Kufo came, they move the inland port to the Ashanti region. There is this sense that it's not only just historical injustice, but present day Ghana is not 
evenly spread in ways that make everybody feel part and parcel of that nation Ghana. And of course, you can, I mean, I, I don't want to even gloss over the fact that this is coming at a time when we've just compiled an electoral register where we had government, high level government officials uh, mention, you know, invoke ECOWAS, ECOWAS register as against the national register and, you know, using that. And, and we also saw the military that was sent to the voter region uh, based on this perception that the people there uh, were bringing in foreigners to vote. Um, and, and you cannot disentangle what is going on now, especially there seem to be a certain measure of escalation that I have observed. I mean, the Togoland issue has always been there. It's been a cultural issue. It's been an identity issue. It has never morphed in recent history into the sort of blatant, um, violent confrontation that we have seen. And we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that present day realities in terms of the distributional outcomes of various developmental interventions have everything to do with that escalation. It might not be the driving force, but that escalation, you really can connect with the present day, some of the problems we are having with present day developmentalism uh, as we are practicing in Ghana. So I want to make three points uh, before the others can come in. Uh, I want to respond to the issue about development and, and, and present day injustice. Um, I don't yeah. agree with, with, with Nelson that there's, hmm. there's uh, some sense that it is not a problem of the past that they are rectifying. Hmm. Um, and I again agree with Nelson that you can't solve it with greater development. Um, hmm. If greater development was the primary reason for all secessionist movements and all that sense of any group that feels dislocated, Quebec would have, a very, would have no cause at all to speak. Right. But one of the most historically unhappy um, integral units of a country is Quebec. Hmm. Development alone only empowers a people to think more. I mean, again, I must, I must, um, I must put a, a stack against the use of the word development. Let's say hmm. um, certain level of modernity and, and hmm. access to modern goods as perceived um, in our time only empowers the people to reflect more, for, more fully on who they are. Mm. So it mm. exacerbates um, mm. greater development, as you would like to call it, exacerbates identity issues. Right. So you do have to have a more thorough approach than to say, let's just give them some more schools and, uh, and more mm. water, more water. Politics mm. mm. has played on, on their sense of, um, of injustice over time. So again, you can't say it's a present day problem. Although yeah. they, they, they say that their problems are present day injustice, the, the history of building up a sense of injustice in, in certain parts of Ghana dates back to military governments. So you, right. can't, you can't dismiss that angle because this is right. what they used to resonate, what resonates with a certain, you know, a certain age group, a certain demographic, a certain part of the region, a certain part of, which is why it's hard to tell who they represent and yeah. who they even are. 
because some claim to be about modern day, some claim to be about independence um, injustices, some claim to be about um, religious and cultural unity rather than separation, and that if both sides of, of if both parts of the ever um, people could be in one country, they wouldn't care, they wouldn't seek to be to see. So it's a very complex issue. And Nelson is absolutely right that military response is hardly the most prudent. Um, yeah. It will only good. This is the thing with, with blood feuds that you then give another generation personal cause to be invested in the matter. And so it is telling about the state's own understanding of its place that it, its immediate response has not been to try and, 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 and shoot them all out or, you know, and be rid of them all. And it may be prudent. It's, it's, we need to think through what it says for the state. Um, but the post-colonial state has not changed its philosophy. This is one of the problems. We're always talking about decolonization, decolonization. The reason we have a decolonization problem after being independent is because our states are still built on the exact um, premises, reasons, structure that they were originally built. But they were not originally built as states that are about us. So. Mm. And unless you want to interrogate, it, it, it brings up the very difficult question of interrogating the entire state. So there's, so there's something I wanted to say here, uh, Otim, before you come in. Um, and and, and I, incidentally, I don't, I don't necessarily think that what you were saying, Nelson, or when Mami came in, uh, disagrees with her, what I say. And perhaps, and there may be a need to even clarify further around the question of development. Uh, first of all, I'm addressing the, the lang some of the language and some of the issues around the evocation of, of history that has been used by some of, some of the people speaking in the conversation. When I say that I am, I am doubtful about the viability and the wisdom of mobilizing historical grievances around the political objective in this 21st century. So I'm speaking directly to that, to that use of the lang language. And being, if the historical grievances around the way in which the plebiscite was organized, or not. But there's some sense of history that I, I talked about, which is useful. And I was saying that development does not provide us the, the tools or the language to be able to better unravel when we are thinking about this sentiment, sentiments around identity and others that are very much steeped in history and a sense of long-term belonging that we need to have a long-term view of when you're thinking about it. But what the thing I said about development is that it's about this lack that it's not useful to understand what is going on fully and to be able to, to unravel what is going on. But I did say that there's, there's also something happening around distributive politics as it has happened since in the post-colonial Ghana, which by judging it by its own standard has not developed, delivered the kind of goods that people are claiming for. And that it's been a language use. But we should also see even the secessionist claim as, as a culture of dialogue or discourse that is happening. That's in their, in, their, in their attempt to justify why this should be so, and even able to express themselves and the, the, the need for why this agenda or whatever they are talking about needs to be taken seriously. They also have to engage in this politics of convincing, of deploying language and tools that would make its case palatable. And, and one of the languages would use is the question of how whether or not it is developed without necessarily interrogating it, whether or not it. It, it digs in into all the reasons why these sentiments continue to exist. And that is why, and Amami makes this point that I was making, that it's not about situating an office in this particular area or that, that you do not necessarily solve these problems 
by developing a place. And that developing a place, as we understand it, or, we have, or that it's being used in certain contexts, does not solve the broader issues of, around identity and of other, other more that would continue to exist. And she gave a good example of Quebec. You can even use the, the example of Catalan, the Catalans in Spain. That despite Barcelona being the most prosperous, even the fact of it being one of the most prosperous areas in Spain is also one of the reasons why, right? So you can even, you cannot necessarily solve the problem of people's sense of wanting to belong or not by developing or creating a sense of access to modern goods as, as, as it went. Because that could itself sort of breed a certain sense of, of getting to know yourself and also claiming to want to be with yourself in a particular way that isn't so. But I think if there's anything we can agree on, I don't know about what the other thing about, is whether or not the militarized approach is the way to assess this conversation and the way in which we need to discuss this issue or, or confront the way in which we manage this. And I think that, and I think in that even as we are talking about this particular one issue of the voter region now, it's not an issue that would not replicate itself across other regions as in the life of this nation nation as it continues to go forward. I don't necessarily think that in how many ever years that this unit of Ghana continues to exist, it will exist within the borders that it currently knows itself to exist. I don't necessarily believe that that would be so. I'm not necessarily claiming that I have any knowledge of whether it will happen in the next two years or three years, but I think that generations upon generations will continue to continue to, to question the utility of the modern state. Its setup, its boundaries will be redrawn, and that's the nature of how the world has continued to evolve, and it will be a, a historical or refusal to, to look at the his, lessons of history when to make any claim that Ghana, as we know it, will continue to exist in perpetuity. Uh, the final point I want to make, uh, and, and not to, to hold the conversation uh, any further, is that one of, the, one of the issues around identity that continues to come up in respect of the voter region is that, let's not forget, and Minister made the point about the, the coincidence between these issues now and what the acrimony around the voter registration problems that we continue to see, to a certain extent, the government engaged in some scorched earth approach to the way in which it's dealing with these issues, that these issues are coming up now. But there's also a history to it that when you look at our courts, at no point, no other people have had to go and justify their Ghanaian-ness, apart from the for people of Lebanese descent and people of Ewe descent in Ghana. These are the only times when the state has tried to deport people from Ghana and claim that they are not Ghanaians. That's always been exacted towards a certain group of people. And that, that way in which the state continues to conduct itself is in a way we want to be able to unravel these issues more. We need to get to the bottom of these issues. Of these, perhaps, of these more, perhaps more recently, it also happened in the Eastern Corridors as well. Yep. No, no. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I am on down on this. I'm, I'm happy for, I mean to say Western. I mean to say Western corridors as well because of the Bono, uh, the issues that came up with the Siedun Ketia in the Bono region. And and it's true. And even that particular issue has been politicized in the past. Even in early post-colonial Ghana, there was a, there was this thing going on between Nkrumah and Hufe Buanye uh, about people within the. I've forgotten the name of the kingdom that has certain, some large, the larger Bono kingdom that has part in, in, the, in the Ivory Coast, where we're trying to, to, to undermine Hufe Buanye by giving money to the people and trying to create certain, uh, certain secessionism within, within Cote d'Ivoire around those people as well. If you remember 
even in Ghana, we had the 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 Ghana Guinea Mali Union. And if you see if you see it on the map, it was in the way in which we are encircling Cote d'Ivoire. And I'll continue this agreement those days with with uh, with Jose Buanyi at the time, and that we're trying to encircle them in a way. Even with Silvanos in, in Togo, the government was trying, the Ghanaian government was trying to, to contribute to the overthrow of, of, of Silvanos for various significant, significant periods of time to abandon the project of the airway, the airway reunification project. So this continuous state that we call Ghana has, as Nelson said, also continued to deploy the tactics of the colonial regime in trying to keep this unit together. And I don't, I, there could be a point where this disintegrates or this continues to work uh, in, in a way in which it has worked for as long as it continues to exist. So then it comes to the point, how do we as a nation state now, as a modern nation state now, address this issue? I've heard some just sweep everything under the carpet and say, oh, this area has always been under the sovereign nation Ghana and the territories uh, of Ghana has always included this part from, uh, from the recent history that Mame just uh, uh, narrated at the beginning of this episode. And so the heavy handedness of a certain military approach is what many may be promoting. I've also heard others say, no, create a bad channel to these splinter groups. And there are many groups, and we are right in this discussion. We, it's difficult to identify whether it's the uh, Trans uh, Togoland Congress or is the steady group that we are dealing with. It's difficult to identify which group is spearheading this secessionist movement. And so I've heard some say, let's create a back channel and mediate with them. What is the best way to address this? I think that the complexity of the issue does not really, uh, it, it does not reconcile with the heavy handedness approach that the government is trying to use. And here you can, you, you, you can, you, you, there's some consensus even among the politic, the leadership of the both political parties that we have to be heavy handed. Intelligence has to go in, identify this, uh, the people, the, 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 the people spearheading this and arrest them. Is that the approach? Should we use some form of mediation to calm them down in some form of persuasion so that this integral Ghana, this unistate Ghana that we have now will be maintained. These are things that I think uh, we have to think about in how we, should, we address the issue. I think, um, if I can jump in here, I think um, this is a very, very, um, it's a very difficult issue. It's far more complex than people give it credit for because its implications could be significantly more far-reaching than we are um, envisioning. Some of it, of course, will be determined by finances. The, um, the UDI of Rhodesia was possible, and, and for the non-lawyers listening, the UDI was the Unilateral Declaration of Independence by Rhodesia from British, um, from British rule 
it was not accepted by Britain, but Britain was unable to reverse it because they were effectively a state um, operating. That was possible because, as I just said, they were effectively a state already operating. So um, that's one way in which sovereignty issues unaddressed, identity issues unaddressed can go. Another way in which it can go is Quebec, where you have the, the unit staying integ integrated in the country, but unhappily so, and, and constantly you know, requesting more autonomy, but no longer espousing a desire to leave. A third option is the, um, the terrorism and violence of, of Basque country, for instance. So it's, and, and, and or as Nelson said, how Boko Haram came to be more than just a group of people unhappy about where they were. So we do need to give it great pause as we think of how to go forward. I think it's very unfortunate that the violent act um, from this group came at a time when we are focused on elections, because it's a time at which governments in power have to show themselves strong and have to have entrenched positions, a time at which opposition parties are um, revving to try and take down the government. So there's a lot of none um, in any political system at election time, there's a lot of insincere posturing um, and a lot of you know, entrenching of positions for fear of losing ground before the electorate. So I think it's unfortunate that this comes at this time because it complicates the matter. The actors are at a point in time where they are very much conflicted in interest, whether to resolve the matter for, for the best, to try and seek the best resolution for Ghana, or to try and seek the best resolution for their political campaigns that have to come to a head in a couple of months. That's, that's a big concern for me. I think that it would be very prudent if the government could somehow hold off a discussion on the finalization of this matter until after the elections so that it does not become hijacked by elections. The trouble with these things is that when people feel that strongly, they, they also are not, are not generally at their most rational. So the idea that hold off, let's have the election and then we can talk may not go over well. But I think if the government could somehow not take a final irretrievable position until after the political season has settled, it would be helpful to the more long-term resolution of this issue. And that actually speaks to the growing, the, the coincidence of what is happening with the electoral period speaks to the growing sophistication of this whole movement. How this group and the incident that just occurred has been planned out to take place at this time at this op uh, taking the opportunity, how now it's more in increasingly involving the use of arms, they are blocking roads, and their ability to overwhelm even all the police stations in uh, the police stations in the area. It's something that is growing, and because of that, it's also the reason why this need not to be politicized. Uh, at this time because of the elections, but to be addressed holistically so that uh, for the reason of stability, uh, if we politicize this, it probably will get out of, uh, out of hand. And within that general West African instability, Ghana may also be going along that path. So I think as a Ghanaian, what is going on is a very sad situation. Uh, I remember the 
a friend of mine who is a retired professor in New York, uh, when he sent me the link, uh, I've always, like I'm sure many other Ghanaians, uh, have always maintained this position that we are very special people. Uh, we coexist, we are more peaceful. And so on a personal note, uh, I've, I found uh, the news really distressing. But then I think as bad as it is, uh, we also need to acknowledge that this may probably not be resolved. Uh, we won't have a finality. And it's partly due to some of the points that Oliver raised, which is that we, we for a very long time, we've been under this illusion that um, the Ghanaian state is a coalition of the willing. Uh, without necessarily acknowledging the inherently conflictual and milita uh, militaristic nature of uh, the evolution of the state. Um, and, and so we may probably not come to the point where we have a definite resolution. I think what worries me is, nonetheless is what I said earlier about the seeming escalation and the violence uh, that is taken, uh, the violent form that this is taken uh, with um, people forming an, uh, some sort of a militia, uh, police officers being overwhelmed. Um, and uh, that is worrying. But I'm also quite optimistic in the sense that I think that the politicians on both sides of the aisle have responded to this quite well. Uh, I was really looking at what the NDC side was going to say. You would see that despite all the problems they've had with the, the current government, they haven't pulled into the sort of um, nativist narrative. They haven't pulled into the point of you know, uh, inequality and stuff what they have actually called on the government to do is to, through decisive action, find a workable solution to what is going on. I was also very happy with the uh, National House of Chiefs, the Voter Regional House of Chiefs, the communicator they issued, again, calling for some form of resolution, but all in all, denouncing this group as a group that does not reflect on what the broader perspective or the prevailing perspective is. I think it's a moment that calls for political leadership. And I just hope that, especially in an election year, the leaders that we have will live up to the call uh, for, for, for effective political leadership. I mean, I, I was very concerned about the, the violence uh, when I saw it, it was, it was really concerning um, because I mean, of course, my my mom comes from Amfuega, in the Volta region. So I have, you know, huge, I mean, I come from there. And my immediate concern was what happens to everyday people who want to go home, who want to go and do their trading and, you know, live their lives and have their happy moments in the Volta region and so on. And I, and I, I was concerned whether the state has a capacity to provide non-confrontational facilitation of security that allows people to do their everyday things 
Um, so, so that was a big concern for me. And, 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 and also to come back to what I said earlier about whether, whether they are looking at the porous nature um, of the security situation in the West Africa subregion linked to the Maghreb areas. And um, we, we, within the context of you know, the tourism concerns um, that, the, that the region is suffering, um, uh, you know, so yeah, the, the, these are my concerns and I'm just wondering whether you know, state capacity exists to be able to do that. Militarization is totally confrontational and it's totally unwise. You know, any heavy handed approach is totally unwise um unneeded actually it's totally just out of the question for me you you know so so that's how i'm i'm, I'm processing this this thing so i want to come in here as well uh, and reacting to Atin's earlier question about ways in which we think we can we can begin to think about how do we resolve this and i i want to say that you know I've, I've been trying to 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 put down my my thoughts and trying to frame what i think about this and that that the modern state, the examples we have is that the modern state has always jealously guarded its borders. That we have, we have very, on very few occasions seen the state freely give out its borders. And so that's always becomes a, a starting point for getting into the conversation, whatever the reasons may be, or whether this could be, uh, whether there's, there's any natural resources in a particular area or not, or whatever it is. That's why you see modern nation states going to war over a seamlessly useless piece of territory, which doesn't produce anything of its own. So that has always been a logic in which the state has been organized. Secondly, we don't have great examples of, 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 how, of how territory has been ceded, authority or polit political power has been ceded in a, in a deliberative process that is rooted in dialogue. We don't see that. And so both on both sides, we have a horrible template of dealing with these issues militarily and trying to show military strength and overwhelm and that once perhaps if we use military power we can nip it in we can nip it in the bud and 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 also from other groups the ways in which they have been able to express these sentiments have never been it's never we've, they've not found an example of how you can be able to say these things and say that listen we all of us here on the podcast were raised as Ghanaians all the people who were speaking on this issue have been raised as Ghanaians the ability to speak to these issues without it being expressed in the sense of the only way in which I can be heard is to pick up arms. We don't have great examples of, of this. So that's one of the challenges we are dealing with from a historical place. But also, and there's a point Mami made about the fact that the proximity to the elections, and I actually think that is the default of our politics that we have an entrenched posturing that continues to cloud our ability to see uh, margins for compromise and also ways in which we can find mutually reinforcing solutions so like let me give you an example on since independence we've continued to have regions in ghana administratively the regions do not provide a framework for organizing ghana administrative in any way the way in which we we, we set out the administrate administration of their country in a practical way has been through the districts for instance now and so we have not given the regional ministers are only in name they only they are not centers of governance in any particular way they don't have any budget that allows them to do anything, right? So if we can continue to think about ways in which these regions provide a framework for people to achieve some, some level of self-expression self in the way in which they are governed and have much more say collectively, it can provide, you know, 
a, a framework that already exists that we have and to think about the ways in which we need to evolve as a people and thinking of giving people much more control of, of, of their own destiny, which has always been uh, the issue. Then as a third point, uh, four point Papa made about the regional perspective. Uh, and I think that, yes, in many respects, the regional perspective has been lacking, both in looking at the historical record of how these issues have been dealt with, even only in West Africa, whether it's in Biafra or in Azawad, that shows us that this, or even in the Boko Haram situation, that this sense of trying to, that we need to overwhelm people militarily has never worked. It has always produced much more disastrous consequences. That the way forward is not the, that's not the way to deal with this situation. And that was, that was one which we need to use regional perspective to inform the way we look at this through history. But also sadly, our, the, the regional perspective allows us to see that there's much more opportunity for disruption and mm -hmm. even destabilizing the state that we need to be aware of in the way in which we approach this. One of the things that we were dealing with, and perhaps I think I can speak to this a lot more, that when we came to the conversation of how to manage the oil resources, one of the biggest conversations was that we don't, we have to be careful so that we don't end up like Nigeria. We have to be careful because we don't end up in a resource care situation like other countries. And that's when we're evoking regional example in trying to find a model that works differently. So somehow for this particular conversation, we have not tried to use the same, whether for right or wrong, look at these same historical examples and say, listen, we need to deal with this more in a, in a different way, in a way that builds or creates this Ghanaian unity or Ghanaian, the Ghanaian units in a different way that don't repeat historical mistakes that have been made in country, other countries in the sub-region. To wrap up, I would, I'll set out a number of things that we must accept as, in, as the parameters around which the conversation, the resolution to this um, Western Togoland issue um, must, must, the parameters that it must address. So the first thing is that we're not all here by choice. This Ghana, we're not all here by choice. There's this attitude in some quarters that anything that's been part of Ghana, that, that the borders of Ghana are perhaps inherently right or fixed or unchangeable. And that is um, a fallacy that is dangerous because it prevents us taking seriously all those things that are proper threats to the integration of the unit. Um, again, it assumes that every part of the unit wishes the borders to remain, which may or may not be true, which may be true at some points and not in, true at other points, which may be true in some parts, but not in others. So it's an important thing to remember that we're not all here by choice. And when you're dealing with people who are part of a project, that they, they are part of the project, but they're not there by choice, there's a difference in your stance when you have a problem with them than when you are there with people who are all on board. So that's an important consideration to keep in mind. Another thing is that we don't know, we don't have any good examples, as, as Oliver was saying, of how military might resolve, of, sorry, of how non-military intervention can resolve these matters permanently. But, by, but we also do have a long history of very bad examples of what military might achieve. So while we do not have a good example of how to do it without force, we do know that doing it with force is not the way. And the third thing we need to the other fourth thing we need to remember is that we don't know who these um, people speak for, and they have no had to this point been, not been able to show that they speak for the whole of the people who are affected by um, the the borders they are trying to create. 
So we must also be prudent in the amount of power perhaps that we see to them because a group of 50 or 60 is an easy thing to raise in any part of Ghana. We also do not want a situation where any 50 people, um, which would be a smaller group than my LLM, uh, LLB class at Legon, can create um, a constant conversation around the borders of Ghana. So we do have to pay attention to the, the actual strength of the group and who they speak for and who they don't in that, in that space that they are claiming and what the dissent there looks like. So there are issues of internal, um, and, and, and there's the internal to the Volta region. If the Volta Regional House of Chiefs has issued a statement condemning the, um, the secessionist group that committed the violent act, it does not necessarily mean that they are all opposed to secession. They are simply opposed to the violent acts by this group. They may be opposed to this group without being opposed to the idea of secession. So let's not do the thing where we conflate issues and we, we dismiss anything that's uncomfortable. Um, the Volta Regional House of Chiefs is also a creation of the state. It doesn't necessarily mean um, the chiefs themselves are installed by the people, but that institution known as the House of Chiefs is created by the state. So it also, we also have issues around to what extent are they representative of, of what their peoples want? You know, and they're, they're, it's a very multi-layered issue. And if there's anything I would end on, it would be to say to our politicians, if you want to continue being political um, players in a country called Ghana with the borders that it has, you have to be far more prudent in our dealing with this matter than the political season may generally um, incline us to be. If we take this matter lightly, many countries have made that mistake before, we, we, we take this matter lightly at our own peril. We also take this group too seriously at our own peril. We need to check more for more legitimacy in their claim uh, about themselves, not simply in, in what they want, but in their claim about themselves um, and all of that. And so I guess the important thing to remember is this is not going to be resolved before December 7th. It's not going to be resolved before January 7th. As Nelson said, it may never be resolved. It may be that our future lies in keeping it unresolved finally in either direction. It may be. And so we need to think through the possibility that the best way to resolve this problem is to leave it unresolved. In all, in, in the end, I guess what I'm saying is prudence and slow deliberate thought and a long engagement and, and, and discourse. We tend to want to have action too quickly. Point is that cooling tempers before we have final resolutions can often be very, very useful for discussions um, around sovereignty, identity, self-determination, um, and multi precedentis. Thank you. Thank you. Good. Okay. Thank you. Good, good summary. Uh, good job. Okay, guys. Uh, we've done... Did you, what, did you like observe... Four in one. Did you observe the way uh, uh, Papa managed to make uh, Oliver a development advocate now. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> you talking this guy doesn't want to even hear the word. How, how, how can you become an advocate? I'm saying that by your own standards, you have failed.